Hello everyone, my name is Alexandra Hanna. I am a dual degree candidate here at the at Stony Brook University. Um, I'm attaining my MSW in social work and my MPH in public health. Um, so today I have Willie Jenkins here um, just to give you a brief bio about him. Willie is a Bridgehampton native, nine-year-old community organizer, activist, founder of Zenith Youth Program, and a co-admin of the Black Lives Matter East End chapter. He is also the organizer of the annual Bridgehampton Day, which is a huge community event that he brings together each that he hosts each summer to bring together the people of Bridgehampton to celebrate their culture, the rich town history, promote local businesses, and continue the basketball tradition through an annual game and to have an all-out good time. So welcome, Willie Jenkins, to the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. So to get started, um, so again, this segment is going to be all about criminal justice reform and things that we can do on the East End to combat it. All right. All right. So the first question I have, um, growing up, did you have any interaction with law enforcement? Uh, yeah. Um, unfortunately, yeah. Um, weren't, wasn't always the greatest interactions um, with the, with law enforcement because of the area I was in. It was um, uh, a lot of, you know, I say drug trafficking through that area. So police presence was heavy when I was younger. Um, it's not like that at all now, but, um, you know, they were always, uh, you know, patrolling and uh, unfortunately there were a lot of interactions, um, warranted and unwarranted. So, um, you know, just knowing, uh, knowing exactly how the interactions began and took place and why, um, you know, tells a, a lot of the story there. So, um, unfortunately, yes, um, most of the time there were unwarranted react, um, interactions, um, but sometimes, you know, they were warranted, the cops were called and they were just doing their job. But unfortunately, at that time, the presence was uh, very heavy due to a lot of drug trafficking going on, which I never played a part in. And uh, they would be very forceful and um, they would do a lot of unethical things and uh, stop you for no reason. And, you know, because you're black and because you're in that neighborhood and, and all that type of stuff. So uh, many of the transactions uh, that they presented themselves in um, were, were unlawful and uh, incorrect. And, you know, so that leaves a bitter taste in your mouth when you're going through something like that. Um, but, you know, after after you get a little older, you, you learn how to deal with stuff and handle it a little differently. I wish I knew the things that I knew now then. I would have uh, handled it better and it is what it is. But, uh, you know, you got to go through it sometimes to, to understand how to deal with it. But, yeah, uh, absolutely had a lot of police interactions um, weren't, wasn't always the best, but, um, you know what I'm saying? Survived it. And, uh, that's why one of the reasons I do social justice now. So, uh, kids today don't have to go through those interactions. And if they do get stopped or, you know, harassed by the police, um, they know how to deal with it correctly. Um, also they know that every police officer by no means is, is out to get you and to be respectful at all times to all police officers, because most of them are just doing their job. So uh, it's, it's hard to figure out sometimes who those good officers are, you know, but um, you got to just, you know, handle each situation with respect and nine times out of 10, you'll come out of it. Okay. 
All right, um, question for you. When you mentioned unethical treatment, do you mind going into like what exactly happened? Yeah, so, you know, many times we would literally just get pulled over, just literally the cops would have no reason to stop us, but they would stop us. Oh, they're, they're coming off this road. They're, we automatically assume they got drugs in their car. They would search the car without the proper, you know, um, authority to search it. They would literally pull you over for, you know, the most mundane reason and then search your whole car, have you out there looking crazy. Um, you know, I, I specifically remember one instance where, um, you know, we were just hanging out. Nobody was doing anything wrong. And, and um, we had one white friend in the car and um, they pulled us over. Um, they pulled the white person out of the car that lived in Bridgehampton as well, but the part of Bridgehampton we lived at was all black, so they pulled him out the car and and literally like we weren't anything or there. They asked him, "What are you doing down here with them?" Uh, da da da. You're not supposed to be with them, and it was just like really like eye opening and it was disturbing and and uh, it's kind of scary at the same time. Um, and, you know, they proceeded to let him back in the car, search all of us, and then told him to get out of there and not to come down here no more, as if we were like some kind of mongrels or like some mutants that weren't supposed to be there. Um, so, you know, stuff like that is, you know, it makes you feel less than a human, but, um, you know, you, you understand the politics a, a lot better of how, you know, how they were, the racism of it or the, you know, uh, whatever they trying to get their quota or, you know, the high drug area, they're trying to, you know, just, you know, get their quota filled or whatever the case may have. You understand it a lot more when you get older, but to hear something like that when you're younger, it just is devastating. And I don't think that's, it was fair. So that's one of the reasons I do my, um, my activism now. Um, so would you say that these experiences is what impacted you to become a community activist? Or if you don't mind elaborating more on that. I've seen, you know, drugs be planted on people. You know, like I said, the, the amount of times I've been stopped for no reason and then a charge came of it is ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and this, is not, this is not saying that every time I've been stopped, there was, you know, I've been stopped plenty of time for traffic stuff that I completely was in the wrong. So this is not me, um, you know trying to deny deny fault of my own but you know when when you're wrong you're wrong when you're when you you're not wrong you know you got to speak out for yourself and speak up for yourself and um yeah so that those instances where I know that regardless of you know if I was in the wrong certain times the times when I wasn't in the wrong I shouldn't have been stopped at all and we got to stop that is definitely you know part of the reasons for my activism um you know because I would never want my child to experience that to be scared like that to feel less than like that uh you know what I'm saying these younger kids um you know what I'm saying as, as much as I teach them to respect the police as well you know be stand up for yourself stand up for your rights know what's right know what's wrong um nobody has the right to treat you like that no matter who they are so that's uh, definitely part of the reason for my activism and for you so now being older and being a parent did you ever anticipate having like a talk with your child about policing yeah when he gets to that age unfortunately i'm going to have to have that conversation with them uh, my older son actually is of that age and it's you know it's just it's one of those things to where until we get a big enough change to where we don't have to have that conversation I have to have that conversation with them to, you know, don't make any sudden movements. Don't, uh, you know, don't give the, the officer any reason to, uh, you know, do anything more than just, you know, give you your ticket and have you go on your way. Um, but at the same time, growing it is also taking responsibility for, um, 
your actions, your kids' actions, and things that they might be doing that might not necessarily be right. Because like I said, there have been times when we were in the wrong. So it's been times when I talk back to the police where the police were just doing their job. Hey, no one did know to be respectful at all times, regardless of what's going on to, to each and every person you run into, and especially the police, because you don't know whether that officer is just doing their job or being a jerk or whatever the case may have you. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, don't put yourself in situations where you got to be in contact with the police. Many times, you know, we got in contact with the police and we didn't have to be, you know, we could have been somewhere else or didn't have to be around certain things. And, you know, it's unfortunate. So um, I'm a, as much as I'm an advocate, I'm also a big advocate on being um, responsible for your own actions and, um, you know, taking a, taking responsibility for your actions. Um, so that means that when we look at society today and our recidivism rate, in your opinion, does Long Island, do you believe that Long Island has adequate services for someone who is going to be assimilating back into society? From jail? Yes. No, they throw you in a halfway house and it completely doesn't. I have friends that come home and they don't, uh, they don't get jobs right away. They typically just slip back into the, um, you know, the, the, drug dealing life or whatever the case may have you know this is not now but uh in the past and and I, I don't think the services are adequate i think that you know if you want somebody to be rehabilitated from jail you know you have to rehabilitate them you can't just put them in a household with other criminals and that just got out who all don't know what to do expect them to find jobs within it, it literally is unreasonable it doesn't make any sense um and, you know if you really want to change you would you would really you know do things to make a change you know what i'm saying like the the the, the studies and programs that are in jails that you know you can get your um degrees and you can you know be uh, become you know people that do um names escaping me right now but uh you know that, that do certain type of jobs uh those are great but they literally just kind of leave you with a, you know, on a wing and a prayer when you come out of jail and there's not adequate services to where the person can go out there and try to thrive and be the best person they can be. And, you know, they kind of leave you with all these hurdles and, and things. And like, stay, it's like, they don't want you to, to reacclimate yourself into society. They want you to fail and go back to jail. And I've seen that too often. So uh, no, I don't think that the services that they provide are adequate enough at all. I think they need to do a better job. I think the parole officers need to stop trying to be like overseers and be like, helpers more helpers obviously if somebody violates the parole or their um probation of course but you should be help facilitating their process into um getting back into the regular swing of things in the world and getting a job and, and not just being like did you do this no you're going back to jail no like it's not as easy for someone who just gets out of jail to get a job so for you to just bark it at them to go do it and then when they if they don't get it then you throw them back in jail that doesn't make any sense because there's all these obviously stigmas of people who got out of jail. So why don't you help re rehabilitate them, get them a job. And as long as they keep their job and do what they're supposed to be doing, then you, you stay off them. But it's just to blindly expect them to just get all these things done. Most, most often the person is going to be like, you know what? I don't even know if I can get a job. I got this felony on me. I'm going to just do what I know best and hope I don't get thrown in jail again. And then, of course, they end up getting thrown in jail again because, you know, they're selling drugs or whatever the case may have you committing some kind of crime or, or something. But it's most of the time it's not because they want to. It's just they don't know anything else and it's hard for them to get a job. So if uh, if the system isn't going to be, um, become better, 
I honestly believe it doesn't want to. We got to get people in there that want the people to get that come out of jail to do better. You know what I'm saying? And be better. Yeah. Well, on a legislative platform, what um what policy changes do you believe need to get done in order so these people can become the best versions of themselves? Well, for one, you got to stop throwing everybody in jail for every little thing. Like, um, it's good that you know what I'm saying. Like, they created the law. Um, they they you know are uh, legalizing marijuana to an extent because a bunch of those arrests and everything were a bunch of nonsense. So there's that's a step in the right direction. Now you got people out here, you know, that literally they smoked weed once or twice or whatever. They got caught with it and they were doing serious time or, you know, or they were selling weed and it was doing serious time. It just didn't make any sense. I know people that hurt people and got all faster than people that sold weed and it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying hard drugs or anything like that. Of course, if they got to do the time, they got to do the time. But, um, you know, weed is probably less harmful than cigarettes. And, you know, <laughs> the government sells cigarettes. So it's like, what make it make sense? You know what I'm saying? Um, like I said, the programs, when they come out of jail, those there has to be reform around that. There has to be reform about, there clearly is a disparity between, um, you know, Blacks being put in jail or minorities, Blacks, Hispanics, and, um, you know, the whites. And uh, there needs to be reform around that. A, a private prison selling people, that's completely... Uh, unethical and it needs to get addressed and there needs to be policy built around that. All these things will um, you know, lower the prison population and make people come back into society and be useful in society. You know what I'm saying? When you put people in cages and you keep them there, especially for something stupid, you're worsening them. Like if you put somebody in jail for weed, they go in there, but because of the uh, environment that they're in, they become worse than just a, a, a weed dealer. Now they become a violent person and they come out and bring those tendencies back out. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you put them in there with all these, uh, you know, some of them are actual criminals and actual violence, but you think they're going to go in there and be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm just, no, they're going to come out with those tendencies trying to survive. And then now they're back in the world and it's, it doesn't work. You know, you, you don't put them, you don't put that type of pressure. You don't put that type of uh, person in, in that environment. You deal with them the proper way through the proper channels, um, give them a fair sentence and boom, when they come, when they come back out, they will be a better person for it. Or if they never have one in and you know what I'm saying? And, they, they don't experience that. And now you got somebody that's actually productive, you know, give them a ticket to whatever the case may have you, whatever you have to do, but don't throw people in jail for every little thing. Um, and this is not saying um, don't throw criminals in jail. That's not, not what I mean, but it's gotta be, it's gotta make sense. You know what I'm saying? No, I can really understand. And yeah, that is, that's definitely um, the direction that I feel like we definitely need to go in to make a more equitable justice system. Yeah, absolutely. So now in all your experience working with diverse population and age, group, and age groups, um, how do you feel about the conversation centered around mental health, especially when it comes to, you know, the the group of people who are going to be assimilated back into society? Um, the, the more the more time marches on, the more you, you learn that how important mental health is. It's, it's something that was never talked about when I was younger. Um, it just was the state of the world. And, um, you know, it was kind of, you were taught to just, you know, if you, something was wrong, keep it to yourself, especially if you're a male, you know, uh, you know, everybody had one word for labeling certain things and that weren't even actually, uh, you know, so if somebody had a, a 
you know, a certain type of mental illness, they were labeled as slow or, or one of those type of words and, and put into this category, put in this class, put in this, uh, you know, facility, whereas there's so many different types of uh, mental illnesses or depressions or whatever the case, you can't just lump them all in together. And um, we have to be really careful how we treat those cases and those people and be careful not to marginalize them and not to just leave them by the wayside as well. Uh, make sure they get their proper medication. It could just be some things are, some, are, are an imbalance. Some people need uh, counseling. Some people need talking to, to where, you know, um, we handle each and every one of those uh, mental, I want to say, illnesses every time is not an illness but you know um situations the proper way everything doesn't need to be handled with force uh a lot of times they'll call in a police uh presence to a situation where that's only you know aggravating the situation whereas if we had a mental health worker come and just talk the person down because they're experienced with that person's uh issue or problem or mental um situation it would literally just Everybody would be better for it. The person would be better for it. They'd have somebody to talk to, uh, somebody to, you know, converse back and forth to, somebody who understands the situation. Nobody would go to jail. Nobody would have that that problem, uh, you know, have that on their record now that they did something when it could have been resolved. And then also you're not putting somebody with the mental problem who can't get the right treatment in a place where they're definitely not going to get the right type of treatment. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's like the, the, the only good treatment you get in jail is like literally dentistry <laughs> like they take care of your teeth when you're in jail but everything else is like you could be all kind of depression there's people that want to commit suicide and people that want to do all these crazy things and um not necessarily crazy because they're crazy uh just crazy in the sense of what's the norm to you know society like it, it, it's just not um you know not that they're wrong for thinking it or whatever it's just that they're thinking differently and it needs to get addressed and and you know, handled in a different way. And we, and we can't handle everything the same way. And that's, uh, unfortunately, was a norm. You know, everybody's treating everything like it's the same. It's not. No, absolutely. So, oh, man, I just had a good question. I like, completely, like, slipped my mind. It's all right. <laughs> so, oh, no, now I remember. Um. So, what do you think can be done to break the the stigma surrounding like seeking mental health in the black community? Um, you know what's going to break it? Just the, making it normal, making it uh, making it happen more often. That's what always breaks every uh things. It's you know, uh, people you know would act a certain way, but the more you just bring it up and the more you you let them know what it actually is, then it's just like, well, I guess this is a thing. I guess this. You know what I mean? There's, it just has to become a normal part of uh, everyday conversation. Um, it has to be, you know, brought up. It has to be, you know, taught. It has to be, you know what I'm saying? It has to be seen. It can't be uh, looked at as something like, uh, you know, as like even the word stigma. It's like, don't call it a stigma. Just start talking about it as normal as possible. You know what I'm saying? And 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 people will catch on. As you know, may not be today, may not be tomorrow, but it will become normal will become that's how everything happens if you look at it you know what i'm saying um most people aren't taught things they're just repetition and they get the context of it so people will get the context of mental health if it's just handled the right way we we have the people and the tools to teach the the proper way to handle mental health we have to implement those things and we have to start talking about it in a normal sense and those who know how to start that conversation need to be implemented in society and they need to just do it in our schools and our you know um 
jails and our hospitals and our police departments. And then it would be like, well, this is normal. This is how this is handled now. We're not just treating this person like this or this case of, you know, remember back in the day, everything was ADHD or ADD. You know, every kid had that. And it was just like, a, oh, you're just this. And now you come to find out that a lot of people have it and it's not what you think it is. The stigma that was placed mm-hmm. on it. A lot of people, you know, handle it differently and everything. But I remember very specifically, you would just look at a kid with ADD or ADHD back in the day, like, oh, this kid is super hyper or this or whatever. And you kind of just fleeted them off. You didn't really pay attention to them. But now, you know, because of um, mental health, um, you know, advocacy that it's actually something that needs to be dealt with um, on different levels with different people. It's not just hyperism or, or anything like that. And um, a lot of people suffer from it actually. And then uh, it's, it's actually can be treated and handled uh, differently. You don't have to just, you know, shove pills down somebody's throat, yeah, a bunch of different ways to handle it, counseling or, you know, uh, routines with certain things. It just depends on the person and, and the right pr- proper channels they go through to get it taken care of and it can be handled. And then the person can live a normal, happy life, like nothing ever happened. So that's uh, that's one of the things that, you know, we learned and that actually is being pushed in and being understood. And now we understand that it's not that what we thought it was. And this is just because it kept coming up. They kept making sure we knew that, hey, this is diagnosis of this is not what we thought it was. And it was in the conversation. Make that a normal thing with all all mental health. Uh, It's funny you said it because I remember in high school, like it was exactly what you said. Like, you know, the people who are diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, it's like, they all kind of like got pushed to like another classroom. Yeah, put, put in like, another classroom. Why? They didn't probably didn't even need to be in there. And they were giving pills to calm down. And we they, they were always thought, oh, they can't pay attention. They're hyper. They said, no, they just need to do everything. Everybody doesn't learn the same way. Everybody doesn't do things the same way. They can be, okay, this person has ADHD. A mental health advocate could be in the room or explain to the teacher or explain to the child hey this is what you need to do or to help with that and and be more normal now there's extreme cases where they do maybe need to be in another class but it's not always just that's not always just the flat answer the flat out answer so um yeah so those advocates definitely will help especially in dangerous situations that involve the police where the police may not know what is going on with this person or somebody might be suffering from and they're acting out upon it and it's a mental health issue and then all they know is hey to protect myself let me just draw my gun i might need to shoot this person where that's not necessary the person is just going through something and if they had an advocate on the scene boom they could get it resolved uh much safer and everybody would go home to their families um, absolutely which is a perfect transition into the next question that i had you um, had for you. Um, so now, do you mind going into some of the community work that you've done? Like, I know last year you did um, hold a lot of protests. So I just want to ask about your experience doing that. Yeah. Um, well, it's just something that just come natural to when you see injustice, uh, especially t- to your people. Um, obviously, being an African American in a place as affluent as the Hamptons and then seeing injustices throughout the nation. And it's just like, okay, I, I can, I can relate to this in a way because of things that happened to me. And I, this is just, I'm tired of, you know, our people getting treated like this. I just want fairness. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a lot of work. It's hard. Um, people tell you, people try to tell you your agenda that are against you, that they try to, they try to misrepresent your agenda and they try to say, yo, you're trying to take over. And isn't, you got to just mow through it. Keep your, um, you know, just, 
keep your composure, um, be steadfast and be loud and be, um, you know, be respectful, proud, um, you know, be uh, be aware that anything can happen. But at the same time, be, be prepared for that. And, um, you know, just speak truth and the power, power, the truth, truth and the power. And and, and things will typically uh, turn out the, for the best uh, when you when you're organizing. Make sure, you know, people could be shouting all day that you, you know, you oh you're against the police. But meanwhile, most times when we organize, pretty much every time we we contact the police, we talk to them, we have a good relationship with the police. We just we just don't like police that don't do their job properly. We're asking for them to be held accountable. Not every police, uh, you know, is bad or this, that, and the third. That's not the case. Um, but people will tell you that, and they will try to ruin your um, your message. You have to know what your message is, and you have to stick with it. You know what I'm saying? You can't let anybody tell you what you're doing. You Only you know what you're doing. And the people that are following you know what you're doing. And hopefully they're following you for the right reasons. You have to make sure that you have to um, give yourself a break because it's very taxing. Mental health is, we were just talking about that. It's very taxing. So as of lately, I've been kind of falling back from the protests and everything because it was a lot last, it was so much. Give yourself a break. You know what I'm saying? And when, when it's time to move, it's time to move. Um, stay doing my program. Um, COVID kind of slowed that down as well, but that's the way the world, as of right now, we're coming out of that. Um, but keep keep uh, behind the scenes, keep doing the work. If you're not out there in the, on the front lines, make sure behind the scenes you're doing the work. Still talk to the youth, still um, do interviews and everything and, and still organize and, and do all that stuff. Um, just because you don't see me out there marching at the moment is just, uh, you know, this everybody has to have a mental break and, and stuff like that. But um, we're here, organizations here. And when it's time to move, we move. Um, yeah, so those are the things that I think are, are really important, um, you know, and, and teaching the, teaching the, the kids that, you know, somebody's out here talking and speaking for them. Um, and the people, whoever it is that anybody marginalized of any community, you have a voice, um, you got somebody who's gonna stand with you, that's gonna shout with you, shout for you, and that you're not gonna be unseen or unheard. Uh, that's what that's what bigots and people um, that try to, you know, um, do those wrong things, they hope that you just ignore it or just, you know, stay quiet. They hope for that, but they're not going to get their wish. So, um, yeah, just like I said, stay loud, stay proud. Right. A question for you. Um, what advice do you have for the youth coming out of a time with such high racial tensions right now? Man. Now, you know, I had the hardball sometimes. <laughs> Be treated. And that goes for, um, you know, black kids treating white kids as well. You know, you want somebody to, um, you know what I'm saying, be respectful and mindful of your race and everything like that, be the same way to them. Um, you know, like I, I, I speak and I talk about black rights and, and, and you know, being fair and, and, um, and getting our, our just due and um, justice and all that. But saying that doesn't mean I got to be disrespectful uh, because how do I really feel? I, I don't feel... Uh, hatred toward anyone. So I give respect to all people um, and you get that respect back. It, it may not be from every single person, but for the most part, people want to see this person is talking about this, but they're doing it in a respectful manner. They're not being violent. They're not, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, it, and it comes over much, much better. Even with somebody who disagrees with you, you can be respectful when disagreeing with somebody. So that's my advice, uh, especially, you know, just be respectful to everyone. To everyone, and 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 you will see that, uh, you know what I'm saying. Like people who hate you and everything like that, 
they're going to be on the wrong side of history. So don't let their anger, their um, stupidity um, rub off on you. Be your nice, respectful self. Um, fight for what you believe in. Um, but like, you know, you do it with class and, and you'll come out on top. It may may not be like right away, may not, you know, might not be in that moment, but you'll come out on top. You stay true to yourself and you stay respectful, humble. And you know what I'm saying? It, it'll work, it'll work out for you. You know what I'm saying? And and learn from your mistakes and just try to be the best person you can be. Everybody makes mistakes. I've made a million mistakes before. Um, I'm, I'm probably gonna make a million more. But I try to learn from my mistakes and move forward in life. And those are the things that I learned from my dad, the way I try to teach to kids. Like, it's okay if you mess up. You know what I'm saying? Try not to make the same mistake again. Try to be a better person um, and try to learn from um, from what you did. Not just, oh, you know, you did it and it's over. Learn from what you did and then, you know, pay it forward. Teach the next person, hey, I went through that. I don't want you to go through that. I want you to, you know what I'm saying, to have to, I don't want you to have to deal with the consequences of these actions and I don't, I don't want to, you know, you to have to, you know, learn the hard way of this or that. And, you know, that always comes back seeing a kid that actually listen and they, they're better for it. And then they become a bright star in the future. The more bright stars you have, the more, uh, you know, the way your path to success is lit. So. Do, do you mind going over some of the topics you cover in your youth program? Uh, yeah. My, well, in my youth program, I cover, uh, uh, African history and African-American history as it pertains to uh, just self-worth because, you know, um, unfortunately in schools and stuff like that, we learn American history, but we don't really learn a lot about history of where particular, you know, there's American history, European history. But you don't really learn a lot about African history if you're an African-American, um, where your people were, what they did, why it was important, how is it important, and how does it pertain to the importance of the other histories of the world and how uh, all our histories intertwine and make everybody um, important. And, and um, so when you when you have the understanding that, oh, wow, I actually come from a people that, um, you know, they invented this or they, uh, you know, they uh, mined this and this is where uh, uh, they started uh, teaching this to people and this is spread over throughout the world. So it comes from us. So we're not just uh, people that were brought over on slave ships and that's it. You know, you kind of learn that in school. Oh, you brought on slave ships, and that's it. You don't know. You don't know that. You know, mathematics started in Africa, and you know, you know, agriculture, and and all these crazy things that literally the world would not be the same without. Um, you know, literally started in Africa. So you you gotta teach the kids that hey, you come from a super important lineage and heritage and um it's important to know that um just like it's important for you know kids of all colors and no matter what race creed you know background they come from your history is important so i teach that to the african-americans because i'm an african-american or uh, black whatever you want to say and um but i teach that it's also important that everybody's history is important to them. This is yours and this is why it's important and this is why there's important and this is why you know Knowing that and, you know, putting it together with all history, now, now you're going to be better set for the future. And somebody can't just tell you anything. If you, you know, people will tell you anything and you fall for anything. When So you got to know your history. So people can't just say, well, we did this and then try to take credit for stuff that it wasn't necessarily <laughs> theirs or, you know, try to tell you, uh, you know, you're not shit. But, you know, if they tell you that you have something to say, hey, listen, 
my people did this and this is why this is important or you know this is we invented this and this is one of the most you know prolific uh, inventions in the history of the world and that comes from an african-american person so it's important just like it would be you know when we think of you know thomas edison you know with the light bulb and you know any any of those type of things so yeah i feel so empowered when i learn more about um african history and just like our lineage where we come from just knowing that like you know we come from such black excellence you know you come from you come from a really really good um really super amazing black excellence you know uh like timbuktu and um you know just mansa musa and, and you've learned all these great things um whether it's egypt or you know um you know what i'm saying like was was ancient Kemet. Like you, you learn these different things and the trade routes and and people came there because they didn't have access to stuff and literally how important Africa was to the world. And then you know because you know you see depictions of it now and it's like oh this country's poor or that country. But no, it's they they go there for a reason. Um, it's mined. It's um, colonized. It's it's being pillaged and raped for a reason because it's literally. Um, the richest uh, place in the world. Literally, diamonds only come from Africa for the most part. Uh, you know what I'm saying? They're so rich in gold or um, um, I, I don't know, a lot of places that they mine iron and um, from, you know, just different spots in Africa. And it's so crazy. The grain they used to get from Egypt that they provided to the Roman Empire to feed it. Now you, you learn that Rome is so great, but you know, they have to outsource most of their stuff, you know? So it's like, you got to learn about that stuff, where they get this stuff from. And, um, you know, Alexandria and, and um, different places that, you know, the Sphinx and uh, all these different places, um, the Moors traveling in and out of Africa, um, it's just a, a ton of things that literally you can't you can't learn it in school because they don't teach it. So it's it's important to teach it to kids so they know. Hey, at least you know, uh, you know where this came from. Why is important to history in itself uh, in general. Awesome. So I love that you are definitely doing so much for our local community. Um, last question I have for you. So I feel like growing up on Eastern Long Island, we're awarded a very unique situation, you know, growing up in a town that has so much Black history, but it's not widely known. So now with that being said, um, da, da, da. so now growing up out here and, go, and leaving, leaving the hometown and going in between different towns, what is your experience coming from being the majority as well as being the minority and has this impacted you in any sort of way man it, i mean I, it's weird I, I don't know if uh if you're from Bridgehampton, i think you kind of would have a bigger uh a, a, a different answer than a lot of people from the other towns um because being from Bridgehampton, especially at the time period when i grew up it's not like that now uh because of gentrification and things like that but when I grew up, I very much, I grew up in a black community. My whole community was black. School was 90 something percent black. So I didn't really know about, I knew, but I kind of didn't know, like subconsciously I didn't really think about, you know, 
that they were in a predominantly white area because I was always around black people. And then I would go places like East Hampton and there would be a small, a small amount of black people, but it was mostly white people. Same thing in Southampton. It was like a mix of everyone. But in Bridgehampton, like I really was everywhere. I, you know, where I was at it was just all black people. So um, I think the experience is a little different there. And you learn and you get a, 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 a real awakening when you when you get a little older and then you learn, oh, wow, this is we're kind of redlined here. We're put here in this spot specifically like it's it's not it's it's good and it's bad. Like we're redlined there. It builds a strong community for us in the sense of we all know each other. We all have that camaraderie and, you know, my peoples are right down the road and everything. But then when you learn the reasoning behind it, it's, it's like, oh, it's, this is terrible that they actually that this is like this. You know what I'm saying? So you 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 grow up like loving and kind of like fighting against uh, the reason why. But you 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 appreciate the, the community that you do have, but you're like, yo, this isn't right. We shouldn't be redlined. I should be able to live across the tracks where um, the white people live at. I should be able to do this. I should be able to do that. So you learned that, you know, choice wasn't really given to maybe set your, your ancestors something to, you know, live on Ocean Road and you have to live up on the turnpike where all the black people live at, you know what I'm saying? But um, you, you make, you know, you make uh, lemonade out of lemons and, and that's what exactly what we did. And that's why we're so proud. We're such a proud um, community. You know, if you, if you ever talk to somebody from Bridgeham, like, I'm from Bridge, it's because we, we were put with a very specific set of circumstances and we uprose and, you know, so many talented people and, um, you know, we, we our basketball championships, whether it be that or just talents that come out of there, people singing, rapping, dancing, uh, we were so unique and so special. Um, you know, it's why I love my neighborhood beyond anything. Like everything is about Bridgehampton and, you know, doing Bridgehampton days, it makes me glow. It makes me feel good. But at the same time, we got to recognize that, hey, you know what I'm saying? How was this? How was this put like this? Why? Let's break down those um, those walls of why these situations and circumstances happen to our people and they were put only on the turnpike, only on the crossway, only on Hampton Court, only on Narrow Lane. Let's make it so uh, future future generations of people can live wherever they want to. There isn't any redlining. There isn't anything. Everybody's all equal. And um, you know what I'm saying? Um, they can get a job wherever they want. They're not looked at in stereotypical fashion. Um, you know, the cops aren't, you know, coming down, trying to just literally fill quotas and get tickets because they know, oh, this is a high such and such area. No. This is a, a regular normal area with a wonderful community and community people so let's just get everything to be equal all across the board and um and then Bridgehampton would have been just a wonderful place for everybody you know what I'm saying and not just the oh this is a this type of community we uh hopefully we could get those those type of things out of everybody's vocabulary and then it just be a community and not a black community or a white community or a Spanish community you know what I'm saying Oh, awesome. And thank you. Thank you so much. Um, oh, thank you so much for, first of that awesome answer. Um, and thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this with me. Um, no problem at all. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, since um, restrictions are lifting up, any hope for Bridgehampton Day this year? Yeah, well, we did Bridgehampton Day last year. It was awesome. Before that, we couldn't do it for a couple of years because it was uh, things. I was supposed to start my program uh, back again this year, but Literally, this is I am swamped with so much. So hopefully um, in September, we can start the youth, uh, Zenith Youth Program back again. Um, restrictions should be down. Um, we should be able to get it going. Um, but literally, I am 
I'm getting married this year. A bunch of a bunch of stuff is going on. So um, uh, I've been, you know, kind of making life happen, regular life. Um, but we're we're gonna get into the community activism. Uh, keep keep it up. I'm, um, I do things with the police board and and elections and things like that. So um, we still are working very hard, and we're gonna continue to work very hard and just you know fight for equality on the East End and just in the world in general. But um, there's hope and. Uh, people have been great and people have been responsive and um you know even when there's like a you know a little bump in the road we typically get over it and we just keep moving forward um again awesome thank you so so much and for all the listeners out there again willie jenkins be on the lookout for bridgehampton day this year and stay tuned thank you thank you